previously on Rebels and Robots and etc., we talked about the boy and the heron. Boy, the, the title wow. just totally the boy and the heron. Uh, Half we started, of it. Uh, we got we got through almost all of it. We got close to the end, but the end, the last like twenty minutes, really ramps up. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Walking in a winter monster land, run away. It's Godzilla. It's Wednesday night, and Cameron and Rachel are hanging out yet again, which must mean it's Starformer Zilla Nation night. Mm. Uh, welcome to Rebels and Robots and RAR, mm. episode 44. I'm Cameron. I'm Rachel. Is this, this not episode 43 and a half? It's a whole new episode. Oh. We're, we're, it, so we are doing a whole new episode. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> we haven't done meme minute. Well, I've got some not news, but like thoughts from last week. I do have some news. So it's a, it's a whole episode. I do have some we're news. We're just continuing our, our discussion from last week. Uh, this is our weekly chat about Star Wars and... Oh, uh, Transformers. <laughs> and... Godzilla currently and animation and whatever else whatever the heck we about. decide to talk about <laughs> um so yeah so today we will conclude our thought we'll give our summarizing thoughts and analysis on the boy and the heron we'll also wrap up the plot summary from that and um it's currently December 27th so I am going to uh, I've got a little Christmas uh thing and um then we'll do meme minute uh, left over from last week. Uh, but as always, we've got news and recent thoughts, anything from the last week. Rachel, what news do you have for us? I really only have two news things. Um, one, so uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, um, I believe is nominated for some things at the Game Awards this year, but did not win anything. Mm. Um, or did he get Action Adventure? Let's take a look. I should know that. Maybe... So the awards, um, I'm trying to find it here if I can, I know. So it happened on December 7th. It was nominated for some games, um, or <laughs> it's nominated for it was nominated for some awards. Um, it was nominated the golden joystick awards, um, for ultimate game of the year, best lead performer, which is Cameron Monaghan, best storytelling PlayStation game of the year. And then at the game awards, best performance, also Cameron Modigan and best action adventure game. It was nominated but did not win. However, um, it was named IGN's best action game of 2023. So that's fun. Um, it's really all I got for that part of the news, but I thought that was fun. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we Star Wars video games really started off really rough in the Disney era with. EA's Battlefront not being mm. nearly as good as the original and not being particularly good in its own right. And they were fine. I think they were there were strengths to their Battlefront games for sure, but considering how incredibly well loved the original two were, and then uh things started to develop and get a little better, and I think the Jedi Survivor games have certainly been a um a high point so far. It's a trilogy, so there should be a third one coming out, and then there is uh, this is talking about Star Wars Celebration. It is um, where you play as a, um, not scavenger, smuggler, um, almost in an open world GTA mm -hmm. kind of yeah. Star Wars game. I think it's, is that also EA? It might be EA. Um, but so. Was that Ubisoft, I think? And my, oh, it might have been. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't have news, but I do have a thought from last week. Today, I was listening back to last week's episode. And I was thinking about um, 
Shaw, um, who is the 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 American soldier who helped start Monarch, and now he's played by Kurt Russell in the modern day, and he's old, and he's kind of leading these young guys. And at the end of the last episode, he says that he's not trying to kill Godzilla, he's trying to help him. And that made me think about, one, at what point did he learn that Godzilla is like a defender of Earth? Like he's like the equalizer of all the monsters and stuff. Because as up to this point in the show, young Ron, uh, young Shaw has no reason to know that. Mm-hmm. Actually, like as far as we know, up until 2015, very few humans are aware of that concept. Um, so I'm curious to see if we get to see how he learns that information, because I don't know how he would. Mm-hmm. Then my other thought that came from that is sort of thinking about uh is it man i these character names is it bill ronda yeah uh bill ronda when we see him as played by john goodman in uh kong school island he really really hates monsters like a lot and i'm they wondering did kill his wife yes that is true but i do wonder if at some point in the show their opinions of monsters will greatly diverge now mm. I, I assume i hadn't made that connection i assume that they're feelings for kiriko is that uh their third partner's name so um that they both are in love with ronda's the one who ends up with her shaw does not but as as far as the the chronologically of the show earlier on it was it was uh shaw and and kiriko were the ones that were in love yeah so that's clearly going to cause a rift between them but also it would seem as it's very possible that at some point shaw decides not all the monsters are evil and it's possible that Rhonda might feel that they are all evil and should all be wiped out. So I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think that it's possible the show is setting that up, which let's get to that quickly, please. Let's get to some interesting character stuff. Cause that yeah, sounds great. Please. Char- that, that's the thing that I thought was set up to be possible plot thread in Kong versus Godzilla. And then they did not do anything with the idea of humans being split on their alignment with the monsters i think would be really fascinating because it was hinted at mm-hmm. in king of the monsters yeah absolutely that that is is that uh the the one woman i don't remember any of the character names but uh she thought that they should re like terraform earth oh. to allow the monsters the mom, to live yeah um but anyways um do you have what other news do you have um uh, Takashi Yamazaki has won Best Director for Godzilla Minus One at the 48th Hochi Film Awards. Okay, nice. And, of course, it's not, um, I mean, we won't know the answer for a couple weeks yet, but Godzilla Minus One has been nominated for Best Film at the Oscars. Nominated? Or is on, like, or is eligible? It's eligible, the and list. then I think uh, the voting takes place this week. Yeah, because actually reminds me, I'll, I'll shout out a friend of mine. I'll shout him out by name because he's on social media. He's very active on social media. Um, his name is Bailey. He goes by, he's changed his name a few times. Let me, uh, the movie daddy. <laughs> uh, he's a uh, he's very, very funny on social media. He posts a lot about Star Wars and Transformers and Godzilla. Um, he loves Godzilla and he posted an image of uh godzilla minus one and it just at the top for consideration in all categories and he played over that the audio from the social network when uh andrew garfield's character is like i'm not coming back for 30 percent. i'm coming back for everything. everything and you know what something interesting that i heard i've been watching some videos about godzilla minus one because i think i don't know about you but i've been kind of curious about 
specifically why it's called minus one. Sure. And someone made the connection. So at the end of World War II, um, at the end of World War II, Japan was basically at zero. They had mm, been, yeah. they had lost. Um, they'd surrendered. They'd lost countless ships in their fleet um, in the Pacific War. They had been nuked twice. And so they were, they were at zero. They were, mm-hmm. you know, basically kind of building from the ground up afterward. And then Godzilla nuked them again, which kind of puts yeah, them at yeah. a minus one uh kind of level sure yeah that makes so a lot that of was kind of interesting because i was like why does it called minus one <laughs> yes that that definitely rings true for sure um any other news or anything i think that's all i got okay well um uh, i wanted to share with you so um this last week was christmas and i we celebrated christmas with allison's family and we Christmas. do uh, Secret Santa amongst the adults, and m- her older brother Will got me, and uh, so shout out to Will. He went nuts, and uh, he knew that I like Star Wars, so I wanted to share some oh, of the, uh, the very interesting ooh, things he got ooh, me. What'd you get? Let's, let's see. What do we start? Uh, we'll start with what? the more normal items. He got me a little canvas image. I love that. It's uh, an ATAT. Um, set to look like it's in the starry night uh by van gogh so that's very pretty i love this i love van gogh i love starry night and i love that so painting aesthetic similar to that style a placemat style yes uh <sighs> it's darth vader in starry night it's a placemat <laughs> uh if cameron had a nickel for every star wars starry night <laughs> themed thing he got a white elephant he'd have two nickels which isn't a lot uh, he also got me a bunch of uh, off-brand Legos. <laughs> they're like Chinese off-brand Legos. Um, and they're all like really smaller sets, which I actually I really, really love. And so here we've got a little Millennium Falcon. Oh. And I haven't had a chance Falcon. to build any yet. <laughs> the Century Bird. Uh, a little X-Wing. Oh, your babies. And what is this one? This one is... Oh, an R2-D2. Oh, <gasps> he bends. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I've never had one like that before, so that's exciting for me. Uh, oh, let's see. Other Legos. These two. Uh, oh one is a little ATST, and one is a little, like, white speeder Ooh. which actually matches a set you got me because you got me the like the storm that's mighty storm stormtrooper hoth set which came with a white speeder. nice so this will match that nicely uh um, i have legos in my office at work i believe it and what else uh he got me like little leg uh not legos but like m- metal miniatures that you like put together <gasps> yeah this one so it's like it's like a sheet of metal yep. with pieces in it that you cut, you pop mm-hmm. out and you put together. One is Kylo Ren's Tie Fighter, Ooh. and the other one does not show. He loaded you up. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he found some. I would assume somewhat shady Chinese uh, website. Tamu. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. That's <laughs> the one. Yes. Um, I'm gonna see here. This is gonna be live on the pod uh oh, i think this unboxing. is a, this is a uh, normal AT, uh tie fighter Ooh. so those will look really cool nice. 
Looking forward to putting those all together. Um, and then he also got me. Oh, I forgot to start with the clothes that I'm wearing right now. He got you all of those? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm currently wearing two different things he bought me. Uh, pajamas with shirt and pants. That is uh, Grogu with a Christmas hat on and then some like designs. Uh, so those are very cute. Uh, though the pants don't have pockets, so I've been like oh. constantly like going to put my hands in my pockets. He's rubbing your thighs. Uh, <laughs> yes, but they're very soft, and I, I enjoy them. And then also this button-up shirt that I'm wearing that has like um, blueprint-esque Schematics. drawings of uh, Millennium Falcon and Tie Fighters, and so like you've got a Star Destroyer, Star Destroyer, Y-wing, B-wing, AT-AT, AT-ST. Uh, and that's the the bulk of it. So this is I like this shirt a lot. It's very I, yeah, that's nice. It's got a nice blue, dark blue to it. That is your color. Well, thank you. Uh, he got me this cute uh, like anime looking Chewbacca car. I, I think I will. Uh, he's like a very stubby looking. Is that there's like a word for that? Like the like the chubby short anime. Chibi. Chimi. That's what I was thinking. Chibi yeah. with Chibi. a B. I see. Um, and he. Not from him, but actually from my own brother and his wife bought me uh, lightsaber chopsticks that glow Oh red. my gosh. So those are really fun. They actually, we met them at an Indian restaurant for dinner on Christmas. Nice. And they gave these to me and I was really tempted to use them in the restaurant. Nice. And, and he also, so two more things. I feel like I should pull out what I got. You definitely could. A little bit of Beskar. So it's an actual Ooh. silver bar that is officially official currency, two dollars. But it's got <laughs> nice. It's a it's got the um imperial logo on it, like the block of nice. of Beskar. Mint. And finally the weirdest one. Oh. I'll, I'll open it. It's a blanket. I will I will reveal it to Rachel here. Oh. <laughs> what do you see, Rachel? Oh, <laughs> Um, it's like a cartoon Obi-Wan and Princess Leia uh-huh. and big old faces of you and Allison on it with BB-8. And it's got our name on it. Too. It would have been so funny if it was Luke Skywalker. Yeah, considering that would, you guys thought that it was Luke and Leia. Yeah. It would be like, ugh, mmm, Tug's collar. So shout out to my family for getting me cool Star Wars stuff. For okay, Christmas. well, I should probably get my cool Star Wars stuff for my family. I thought we were jumping straight into it. I wasn't prepared. I was not prepared. I meant to tell you to, to have your stuff ready after that. I was not prepared. Fortunately, it's all in here. That's the sound of unopened Legos. Consumerism at its finest. For the use of making other people feel temporarily. Not temporarily. I feel I felt very loved the last few days think even thinking about this and i will feel loved as i continue to build these legos oh i felt super loved okay hold on oh these are good i got one more these are real good oh man these are big boy these are heavy i'm not even gonna say what it is i'm just gonna tell you that they're heavy dang it's so heavy these are all podcast relevant too they're also relevant so if you know me Big fan of animation, big fan of movies. I love to collect those art of books. Um, and so when my family, you know, I put a bunch of the art of Star Wars 
and other movies on my list this year. Family pulled through. <laughs> Big props Woo! to my family. I got a lot. And so actually, um, I think the first thing I'll start out with, this was fun. So <laughs> this is the art of coloring Star Wars. I, I don't know if you've seen this before. Um, maybe. But I've seen it before. This first I actually have one of my own, and it is a fun coloring book of Star Wars pieces. So oh, like, they're like kaleidoscope images. At least those are a few pages. Them, but like and then fun. we've got like <laughs> cute portraits of Chewbacca and Jar Jar. <laughs> oh, this is this is really cute. So, oh, that Jar that uh, Boba Fett. No, it's Django. He's got oh, the two Django? pistols like crossed over his chest. So yeah. like I, of... I like the the kaleidoscope images a lot. Mm-hmm. Those are super cool. And then this is like almost more like uh like wallpaper yep. of all the ships. So, oh, clone trooper. Some and are very Ewok. stylized and some are very detailed. So lots oh, of like fun a bunch of like helmet that. print. Those are that's really fun. That's Rex. Oh, it is. <laughs> very nice. So all kinds of fun things. Um, is that just Anakin? Is Anakin that, like that one's Vader. kind of strange? It's no. Uh, I looked at this one. And I had to go. What is that? I, I think see. that's Anakin. Like Attack of the Clones. Anakin. Uh huh. I was like, whose whose guy is that? Uh huh. But then there's also like the Millennium Falcon. But then also like the Empire, and, like Vader and Tie Fighters. <laughs> All like kaleidoscopes and a, and a gun. And a it's pretty much you had one image multiplied four times. The <laughs> the uh, Twilight Dancer from Jabba's Palace. <laughs> <laughs> Next Admiral Akbar. Akbar. <laughs> so, all very fun oh, stuff. Very like uh, high contrast image of of young Obi Wan. Yeah, good stuff. That's fun. So family. So that that's fun. Um, I'm excited to to color in that. Um, I'm actually gonna save that one for last. My parents. So. Um, I also got the art of Rise of Skywalker, which is fun. Actually, interesting seeing a lot of the concepts for this because I'm like, oh, this guy looks pretty cool. This is stuff. Is this some stuff that maybe we could have had? Yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah, of what yeah, could have yeah. been. Um, so lots of fun looking through that. Um, it's kind of self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, art book. If you've never seen an art book, art book is pretty much all the concept art mm-hmm. that was created. To in the process of making the movie, mm-hmm. and especially with Star Wars, I know it was really prevalent with Force Awakens. But there's always content artists are often encouraged to just create, just draw yeah, things, just make things, and see it's, what's it's throwing mm-hmm. stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, like I know one of my favorite stories is like the creation of General Grievous. Lucas had no idea what Grievous was going to be; just a, he was just a villain. And so what we got is so specific, but they had dozens and dozens of totally different designs for what that character could have been. Because mm-hmm. if you actually watch the movie, Grievous is a very non-specific character. Like anything out beyond the way he the way he talks and moves, like none of that's in the screenplay, the original screenplay. So like it was just a blank villain in that slot that the concept artist created mm-hmm. and made one of the most iconic villains. Uh, just that one is an example. And I'm I'm pretty sure the artist behind Maul was like told just draw your worst nightmare mm, and he did interesting and I'm um, and this is incredibly important for Star Wars because like concept art is what drove the creation of the original movie Ralph McQuarrie 
came on and took Lucas's original screenplay, sort of drawing the world. And Lucas said that concept art motivated him and inspired him to finish to make actually like make the movie. Like once he saw someone visualize mm-hmm. his vision, the concept art inspired him. And then Ralph McQuarrie went on to paint. A, I did not know this until we watched um, the Industrial Light and Magic documentary. Ralph McQuarrie himself did a bunch of the matte paintings for the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And those concept arts continue to inspire Star Wars. All, like, pretty much if you see a thing, a cool thing in a new Star Wars, the chances of it being based off early concept art is so likely. And we talked about this before. That's all of Rebels. Yes, pretty much. Dave yeah. Filoni went, I'm taking everything that they didn't use and using it here. Like, uh, Fifth Brother's helmet was a concept mm, for yeah. Kylo Ren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so the other ones I got, I got... Uh, the art of Rogue One, which has been really fun to look at. And so I'm actually very excited I got this one because it's been in and out of stock for a while. Mm. Ba- after Andor came out, it was out of stock for yeah, so long, yeah. and I was kind of nervous. Um, so that one, enjoyable, of course. Um, another one I got was the art of Solo, which has actually been fun to look at, kind of oh, seeing cool. how um, this one went through. I'd know. be very, very interested to see how much in there if you don't know that movie changed directors so much uh, mid-production and i'd be really curious to see how much they allowed in that to be from that original version of the movie yeah so lots of lots of well, fun it's like, things so in the movie the millennium falcon has its like nose piece still mm-hmm. on in this concept art that nose piece has an additional like mm-hmm. um uh what is it uh dang like Extension. the part we the, the the cockpit Ah, uh, that was really cool. Yeah, these so, are all the robots and pikes. Oh, they've got the the pikes with their masks off. That's cool. So yeah, all kinds of like fun, great things. So the Kessel Run monster, creepy looking thing. Uh huh. Um. So yeah, all kind all kinds of fun things. So very enjoyable. Good stuff. It's ripped, which makes me sad. Oh. But that's easily fixable. And then actually, what I really enjoyed getting was uh godzilla the art of destruction which is uh the art book of the 2014 godzilla and so one thing that's very interesting is actually because i read through this one they did a lot of rotoscoping in this film really yes okay you know that's funny this is a quick aside i'm sitting here thinking about (laughs) how i wanted to say at the top i i called the episode rebels and robots and raw and i i thought about saying rebels and robots and raw and rotoscoping oh. uh, standing for animation so i almost said that today so, well, so ro- that, that came up and if you don't know rotoscoping is animating directly over film mm-hmm. um that's pretty much what probably the most famous example of it that i can think of is the uh aha's take on me song you know that oh, song take yeah. on the music video for that yeah. is rotoscoped uh and also uh, a lot of an- 80s animation like heavy metal so that's this was actually kind of interesting because uh, one of the artists was talking about how I guess they were in the middle of shooting somewhere and a big flock of birds came in like at the perfect time, totally unplanned, totally okay, something that can't be replicated. And Gareth Edwards was like, I need that in the movie. <laughs> and so they had to like promise him they weren't going to edit it out and then like had to rotoscope those birds in back in like over the film. Oh, interesting so the one thing i actually wanted to talk about that i thought was really interesting is the uh the journey to 
legendary Godzilla and the concepts he went through. And some of them are like, ooh. Oh, so, so different designs for Godzilla himself. Some of them went a little too close to... Uh, 98? Yeah, Godzilla. for real. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I just kind of want to show you a little bit. Like, I was actually looking at something. I was like, oh, gosh. Glad I didn't go with yeah, this. Yeah, I, I think people want to make him hunch over. They want to turn him into more of a they lizard. They want to turn him into a T-Rex. Yeah. Oh, it folds out. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. That's very T-Rexy in the face, but at least it, the rest of the body's pretty standard. His arms are a little longer than usual. <laughs> oh, wow. These My are table's not long enough. Oh, this is a big boy here. Yeah, he's he's a very big chunky. Boy. The and final then... design, see, this is one of the very few instances where like the final design is so good. Like, yeah. A lot of times concept art like makes the movie look bad, but in this instance, like these are good designs, but the final Godzilla design they came up with is so good. And this one is like much more sea creature like. Yeah, that one's scary. I know. So, it folds out into like six. And it really shows there's a lot of different ways to go, but then it kind of stops and looking then, like Godzilla. I hate this one. Yeah, these are all good monster designs. But they're none not of them quite. They're not the man. Except for one looked a lot like classic Godzilla, which I think, like, if you go too far like classic Godzilla, then it looks a little silly if you want it to be more serious of a movie. And so you can kind of see, um, you know, they're continuing to move. Looking through, and that's like not, it's like they're kind of getting closer. Um, there is a lot of ways you could approach this. These and are, then it, there he is. You can see, um, Gosh, such a good design. One of the artists made this initial sketch. Um, I don't know if you can read it. Um, it's one of the initial first concept arts of like what he actually looks like now. And this is basically the one where they saw it and went, That's great. Yeah. That's the one we're doing. Mm -hmm. That's so, so cool. And then, and I think really the, the big difference is that. They made his eyes so much smaller. Mm. I think that's the big kicker because in original Godzilla, it's a man in a suit. Yeah. The eyes are very big. The eyes are actually, his face is very feline. Yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, <laughs> I kind of like almost make jokes that you see like some of those older masks and it looks like a cat. Yeah. He's very feline. Yeah. But then you have finally got it. And I think it helped when they made his eyes a little t tiny. And a more rounded nose. Like not, not, not yes. a round nose, but like rounded and squared. So... This has been interesting. Ooh, I don't like that Muto concept art. <laughs> very anime looking. Very simple. But so, yeah, lots of fun um, taking inspiration from stealth fighter jets for the Mutos. Mm, yeah. Um, so anyway, that one was really Love enjoyable. Um, I do not own, I so I put it next to my King of the Monsters concept art book. Um, I do not mm. own the Godzilla versus King Kong one yet because I just don't love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should probably have it for collection purposes, uh -huh. <laughs> but I don't want to buy it myself. Yeah. So I now have, um, it's funny because out of the sequel trilogy, I have Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, but no Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. So that's in my Amazon cart right now. Uh, is that is that the end of it for you? For all my Star Wars stuff, yeah. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to share before we finish up our Born the Heron thing. It was just a, a nice moment. Oh, wait, no, I'm kidding. Jokes. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I put it to the side to save. So I got a book from my mom called The Unauthorized Star Wars Compendium. Okay. By Ted Edwards says the complete guide to the movies, comic books, novels, and more. And at the very bottom, this book has not been prepared, approved, licensed, or endorsed by any entity that created or produced the Star Wars properties. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so... I look at, I'm looking through it because I want to find the publishing year. 
which is 1999. Interesting. So the, wow. you have the making of, so it's like in episodes. Um, so like the, rather chapters. than chapters, as it says episodes. So making a Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars trilogy, radio dramas, adventures in the comics, the fiction guide, the special editions, rebirth, the timeline, 50 reasons why Jedi sucks. I'm assuming that is Return of the Jedi. That's bizarre. Which I love Return of I my hot take is I think Return of the Jedi is better than Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> um but so I'm very interested to read this one because I have not read the Legends books. Yeah. yeah. I just have not. I probably will not. <laughs> Nothing against them. I just probably uh, uh. won't cuz there is so many and basically yeah. you can kind of read whichever ones you want mm-hmm. um but so yeah it's got a lot of interesting so yeah it's got information about the books and i'm like oh as someone who is not going to be reading the books makes it a lot easier because you've got the synopsis you've got the review and the notes so this is one guy's kind of view on all these things i'm actually surprised that he was able to publish this yeah, um, that's that's really interesting. In a time before the internet and Star Wars, in a, this, in a could... time before Disney bought Star Wars, oh, way before Disney would have sued this guy into the ground. Um, in a time before the internet, when people could just vent their Star Wars opinions endlessly, this guy decided to make a book. It sounds like, but so I'm actually kind of interested because I'm like, oh, I don't have to read all the books. I have to read all the legend <laughs> yeah, books to understand them now. So that's I'm actually. It was funny because I. Like, Mom, where did you find this? This is actually from her own personal library. So thank you, Mom. I was very excited. So this one, I'm excited for all of them, but this one I think piques my interest the most. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for sharing. Now I'm re- now I'm done. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share, um, I probably should have shared this in, in news section because that's our, like, things within the last week. But uh, I just had an interesting, like, just moment thinking about Star Wars this last week. So about Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, so in our guest bedroom, uh, in Allison's eye apartment, uh, we have a shelf and on the shelf, I have all my Lego star Wars. And a couple years ago, I'm, uh, actually friend of the show, Megan. I had Megan make Allison a like notebook that we could like, uh, record all the things that we had done in our first year together. And the cover for this was made out of, of this paper that was like blue tie dye looking with like white specks on it. And I had some extra that just kind of sat around forever. Well, what Allison did without even me realizing it, she had she set it up and put it as the backdrop for my Star Wars Legos. So it looks like stars and stuff. And, it was a, and I, Allison was working and I was um, cleaning up the house and getting stuff together, ready, getting ready for us to go out of town for the holidays. And I saw this and I really loved it. And then later I was walking around cleaning and Yoda's theme, which is one of my favorite Star Wars songs. That's your on. song. Uh, well, my number one is uh, the one that we had at our wedding, which is uh, the throne room True. scene. But this um, is definitely up there. Emphasis, Cameron and Allison's wedding. <laughs> uh, Not our wedding. Oh, our, yes. Ours and mine and, and Allison. Uh, but <laughs> our wedding. That song started playing right as I walked by it again. The My, oh. my Lego setup. And I have this little light that a friend, a good friend of mine bought for me for my birthday this year that you can swap it out it's got a r2d2 it's got a oh yeah uh millennium falcon and it's got death star plans and it's a light that lights up different colors i just i turned off the lights 
and I turned on just this light and I just sat and I just looked at the Legos oh. with this light on and this music and that put me in this this very nostalgic space and it just like transported me. I have I don't remember a time without Star Wars. My dad saw it when he was 16 years old in 1977 and has been a big fan himself. So I grew up and I was three and three quarters when Phantom Menace came out in 1999. And I saw that twice in theaters. It's one of my earliest memories is seeing the Phantom Menace. There's really my entire life has been had had Star Wars. And I've most of my best friends I've shared Star Wars with. I've shared it with my wife. Uh, so I just like this, this, this moment sitting in, in it's the thing about building the Legos as a kid and as an adult, so it was just a nice moment to think about how, why do I have a Star Wars podcast along with a bunch of other stuff uh, is because it's important to me. And um, so I just wanted to share that. It was, it was a cool, fun little moment that I had. All kinds of heartwarming Star Wars moments. <laughs> Around the holidays. Um, very much unlike the holiday special. <laughs> um, Allison found there's been a lot of memes going around about what Luke Skywalker looked like in that holiday special where he had like really weird makeup. Yeah, that was like Mark Hamill specifically looks really odd. Right after his wreck, wasn't it? Good question. I think it was right after I didn't know that. That's that's fascinating. I did not put those two together. Because they like caked him up with foundation. (laughs) Yes. But regardless, he looks very odd in that because of the the cheap television lighting and and the only person who looks good in that special is B. Arthur. And Allison had never seen this image of him before. And she was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, and none of that is relevant to tonight. Today's actually actual topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we are going to conclude our discussion of The Boy and the Heron, a beautiful film that I have not been able to stop thinking about. Because you saw it again. I did. So, yeah. So, last week. Did you see the English? I did see the English dub. How was that? Yeah. So, the last thing that we mentioned last week was you mentioned the cast of the English dub. So, this is a great transition this week. So, I got to see the English dub. Uh, Overall, I would say I enjoyed the Japanese version more than the English dub. I felt like it just fit more naturally. I mean, that's what it was recorded in. Any dub always has some sort of delay. Uh, it's just like a, a difference. A uh, There's a gap between what was intended and what you're watching. It's just not meant to be. Um, and that's totally fine. It didn't like, it's not horrible. Like there's a strong tradition of English dubs being terrible. It definitely never felt disrespectful or like it was trying to dumb it down. There were some very interesting translation differences that Alice and I both caught. And they're just like, I think the English... I, I would hope the English translation never changed anything, didn't change the meaning, but sometimes the English translation did make things make a little bit more sense. Like one word difference would go from some of the confusion we had watching the movie to making things make a little more sense. Um, so I think it's a little more clear, the English dub, um, but most of the performances are fine. Um, Christian Bale is very odd as the father, as... Um, I need character names in front of me or I will not get through this. It's not the first time um, he's been in a, a Miyazaki yeah. film because he plays uh, Haru in Spirited Away. Yes. Um, he is the voice of... The father. Yes. Oh, man. I need character names in front of me. Here we go. Maito. Maito's dad. Um, and Maito is played by a young American boy, which I've actually not looked up to see if that's someone I know. But Bale is doing like a Cockney accent. And... Hate that. 
it it's very silly and it kind of matches the character, but it definitely took me out of it for him. I think he was probably I won't say it's a bad performance, but in this is kind of sometimes what you get the issue with um uh these dubs is the actors are not necessarily all on the same page. So not everyone's giving the same kind of performance, and he he felt very different from everyone else. But um, what I will say is the one everyone's talking about, which is uh, Bane. My, I do not have names in my head today. The voice of the heron, Robert Pattinson, is Robert Pattinson. Thank you, and he is phenomenal. He's really really good. Um, and some people might still only know Robert Pattinson as the Twilight guy. Should it have been Danny DeVito? No, no, it shouldn't have. <laughs> Uh, it would have been distracting because you would recognize his voice. Mm. Uh, Pattinson is totally unrecognizable in this. Some people still only know him as the Twilight guy, which is a severe disservice to him as an actor. He, he has done he hates those films. Yes, <laughs> I really enjoyed him in the Batman. He's incredible as as Bruce Wayne in and and Batman in the Batman. Um, he's incredible in a lot of different movies, uh, such as uh, the Lost City of Z. He plays a minor character. He's so good in it. Um, and he's had a bunch of other award-winning movies like Good Times and oh, I'm going to totally blank on anything else he's been oh, in. Oh, he's in uh, The Lighthouse. Oh, The Lighthouse. Yeah, it's another one people really like, which also has Willem Dafoe, who's also a voice in in this this dub. But uh, Pattinson... Mark Hamill's also in this dub. <laughs> yes. Um, very, very brief. He's pretty much... There are times where I could hear Hamill in there, but... Um, Is he the uncle? Yeah, he's he's the grand uncle. But Pattinson, the one thing that I would be interested to watch the Japanese version again to see if the Japanese version did the same thing that Pattinson did. Pattinson would do a lot of subtle changes in his performance as the uh, as the heron would change form because the heron the heron has a lot of different like in between states. Like he he has the full on heron mode. He has the mostly like human guy mode, and there's various stages in between. <laughs> yes, and and Pattinson would perform these parts relatively differently, like not totally different, but he would give minor differences. And I didn't catch that with the Japanese performance. Um, out, everyone outside of that is fine. Um, I do feel like the while the the voice of Maito is not necessarily exceptional, it did help me connect with the character a little bit more. Um, I don't know why, just hearing him speak English helped his, because what made me, what really stuck out to me this time is that up until they go into the fantasy world, Maito has very few lines of dialogue, and that did not jump out to he me in the Japanese. Talks. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. And so anytime he talked in the English dub, it jumped out to me, because I could, I think when you get um, into foreign language movies, unless someone's doing a really specific voice sometimes the voices tend to like blur together just a little bit because you're not used to those that accent and so they kind of are, seem somewhat familiar so it just did, it didn't jump out to me but with it being this, this younger boy who whose voice i could recognize a little faster um and i'm not reading subtitles it really it stood out to me that he talks very little which i think further illustrates the, the character development that he goes through because he's a jabbermouth by the end of the movie he's got a lot of lines of dialogue um, I'm going to look up the cast here real fast. I do know that Florence Pugh, Florence Pugh is the voice of 
the older woman who then has a younger version of herself in Oh, she plays the older the older woman as well? Uh well at least it's the character. I don't know if she's the voice of both. It, I think it was her, but I'm not one hundred percent sure. Uh, let's see if I can Your find. mother. Um so you got the the old dying pelican is Willem Dafoe, so it's a very short part, oh, but really? Dafoe is great. He rules, he does a great job. Uh, Dave Batista is the parody yes! king, uh- <laughs> which I really enjoyed. I love Dave Batista, most famous for uh, Drax the Destroyer and Guardians of the Galaxy. Kills, I feel like he kills every role he's in. Um, he is so so great. Um, Jimma Chan, who is mm. the uh, lead of the Eternals movies, she's also oh one of the sisters in Crazy Rich Asians. She is Natsuko. Well. Glad she's got another good film to add to her repertoire after Eternals. Yeah. Uh, so she's the uh, the aunt mom. That, that's not Zuko, right? Stepmom, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hamill is the granduncle. Uh, Maito is played by Luca Padova, who I do not recognize off. Um, he is in the newest version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> um He's in that movie that came out earlier this year called No Hard Feelings. Um, not not a ton. So a relatively unknown young actor. Um, Florence Pugh as Kiriko. Oh, um, the, the various parakeet voices have two listed actors. Tony Revolori, who is Zero in Grand, Bu- Grand Budapest Hotel. And um, he's also... Flash Thompson in the newer Spider-Man movies, and he, I feel like he's in something relevant to this podcast. What do you mean by newer Spider-Man movies? Like the um, uh, Tom Holland ones. Oh, him. And he's also in Asteroid City, which puts him as, as far as I know, the only actor. No, so Willem Dafoe and him are both in Asteroid City and this. So those two actors are in both of my top movies of the year. Um, and yeah, so anyways, um, and then the other one is Dan Stevens, who is relevant because he's, he's one of the main characters in Godzilla X Kong. And that is it for the actors that I recognize. Anyways, everyone, uh, between, I think Kirk Bell is the, the, the most miscast Pattinson kills it. Everyone between there is just various levels of fine. So I have to ask. What's up? The scene where uh, where Mahito is fixing the little plug for the heron. Okay, yeah. Is that also funny in the English dub? Yes. Okay. It good. works really well. Uh, that does remind me, for some reason, an example of the English translation uh, working a little bit better and being a little more clear in the American, in the dub, instead of saying, instead of, uh, not, 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 oh, sorry, what's the character's name? Instead of Kiriko telling Mahito to not touch the little wooden dolls that are around him when he wakes up. Um, so in, in the in the dub, sorry, in the subtitled one, she says, don't touch them. Mm-hmm. And then he does, and nothing bad happens, and it's kind of a confusing moment. Yeah. In the, in the English dub, she says, don't move them, mm. which is a big difference in my opinion. Yeah. And, um, or no, no, wait, no, she says, don't knock them over, I think, which is a big difference. Um, so that, that, whole element ceases to be confusing yeah uh that is an example of some some slight translation that makes a movie just a little bit more clear anyways so uh overall i wouldn't 
if someone struggles with subtitles, especially with a movie, if you're not used to engaging with animated films that are this complex, the dub might be a little easier for you. But if you're a purist and you really are into Japanese animation or any sort of uh, foreign film with subtitles, you're used to it, and you want to experience the movie as it was intended, I would recommend the uh, the subtitled one. But I recommend both. I think, I think it's fun to compare them, and uh, I got a lot out of seeing both of them. So we uh, stopped. We dropped off last week. Uh, they had just entered the birthing room um, where uh, – is it Kiriko or – no, sorry. Natsuko. La- Natsuko uh, yelled at Maito to leave, and then all the paper ribbons turned into dragons, and I pulled him out, and then uh, Himi wished for them to survive, and they all pass out, and then the- I think that's where we will pick up now, where uh, Maito wakes up in this like strange room. How would you describe this room? It's kind of like a... Like a butcher shop. No, before that, he wakes up with the granduncle. Oh, in like this, like yeah, it's like a it's a room with just pillars. Like it's a, it's just an empty room, and there's pillars and it's whiteness. And we see this room a couple of times. It's kind of like a transitory. It almost feels like a, a bus station or mm-hmm. a train station of sorts. Like there's no details to make it make it feel like a specific thing, at least from our cultural context, but. Within this world, it tr- it serves as kind of a transitionary, and it's just beautiful. Like it's just last like last time, Allison said we can't get caught up on too many things; so it'll take too long to talk about. But it's just like this room is so simple yet so gorgeous. And we, when I went and saw we saw the movie, I saw it with friend of this friend of the show, uh, Caleb, and his new wife, and Caleb's younger brother, who is a film student. His name is Josh. And there's doxing everyone. <laughs> I think first names are fine. Um, and Josh said he, f- something I noticed upon rewatching it was there's a lot of repetition in the movie. And not necessarily that things are m- repeated multiple times, but a lot of things happen twice. Mm-hmm. And you see this room two different times. And I was trying to figure out the potential metaphorical or thematic significance of that. And Josh just said, I think it's just because it's so pretty. They wanted to show everything twice. <laughs> they work really so funny. hard. Yeah. It just reuse the animation. Why not? Um, so then I don't, is, is the, the un, is the uncle, oh, the uncle is there with his stack of, t- his tower. Yeah. Do you want to describe that? So he is building a tower of blocks of out of all white blocks mm. and they're not very conventionally shaped. Yeah. You have triangles, you have spheres, you have cylinders, which I don't know why he was balancing them on the <laughs> side, but you know, I'm no engineer. Um, and he's. And he's balancing them, mm-hmm. and he's trying to keep them from falling over. And someone on one of my favorite podcasts, uh, I think it was the guys on the Blank Check podcast, said that it's the world's worst game of Jenga. For real. <laughs> with, especially with the spheres. It's just so dumb. And Maito tries to talk to him, I think, and the Grand Uncles goes, one moment. And he, like, taps one of the blocks over, and the, the tower struggles, and then it stops, and he goes, oh. This world can exist for one more day. Yeah. And Mighty was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Um, so the implication there is the uncle is maintaining the integrity of this small world by keeping this tower upright. So then they go on a walk. So they walk through the doors and then 
Now later when the parakeets go through here, it's like a paradise. But it's I don't garden. think I don't think they see that. I don't think in this scene. They when they walk through they end up on like the very similar to the area where we started in this world, which is the grassy hills next to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I don't I believe we talked about it earlier. We may or may, may or may not have Earlier in the movie, one of the older woman women talks to Mito's dad and says that the tower was built out of a crashed Meteor. meteorite. And so we see the meteorite like suspended in midair. And this is one of my favorite images in the movie. Because I would assume the CGI... Sorry, this meteorite is a different kind of animation. I'd presume CGI. Maybe, maybe not. But it looks totally different than everything else. It's got like colors pulsing it looks like looks like an oil slick in a way mm, that's an interesting way to describe it i would say it looks like drying uh volcano volcanic rock mm. um it has like these lines in it and it and it looks like it's got something in it that's trying to get out um and it's just suspended in midair and it's like the moment you see this meteorite it's just like it feels foreign it feels dangerous it feels like something else it's just another example of the movie conveying purpose through its animation uh, and I don't remember exactly what. Do you remember what the the granduncle says here, Tomito? This is where he has the proposition, where he wants Maito to take his place. Right. See, there's two different scenes that take place. That's what the movie gets kind of hard no, to this remember. No, this is this is where he propositions okay. him. Okay. He kind of explains um, more because by the time, not to skip ahead, it's a much shorter scene. The second yeah, time, this yeah. is where he kind of like builds the proposition and, and like actually introduces himself to Mayito. Mm-hmm. Um Mayito's like, oh you're my granduncle and he's like, yes. That's yeah. actual dialogue. No kidding. <laughs> um but so this is um I believe this is where he ex- where he explains what the blocks are, correct? Oh yes. Because so, they don't they don't have enough time to explain that later. Now I remember. Yes. Yeah. So he 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 says, I want you to take my place. Mm-hmm. And you can add one of these blocks and he offers him some blocks and he says, I, those are not good blocks. Those are cursed. They're made out of tombstones. Yeah. And is it here or is it later when he says, I can't do this. I have my own malice. Is it, I think, I think it's later when he presents him with the good stones. I think this is, it was like a test. Yeah. Cause it, grand uncle was like, where he says, no, it's tombstones. And he's like, Oh, you noticed you would Mm. be good for this kind of thing. Mm. Um, Which does interest me because he says you can place one uh, block on the tower, which makes you curious about everyone who has come before the grand uncle. Hmm. That's like a block of 10. That's like a tower of 10 stones. That, that's an interesting read because I assumed the uncle created all this. See, my thought was when he told him that he can add one, my thought was, so has there been one person who's been tasked hmm. with adding a stone each time? That that is interesting. I, I'm, I mean, it's unclear. So there, there's lots of different yeah, ways. Yeah, who knows? To take it. I assume that nothing existed here before the Grand Uncle because the meteorite crashed. True. To Earth, and he's the aliens. first one to find it. Could have been aliens. Um, but regardless, I think at that point he wakes up. Mito wakes up, uh, chained in a room, and there is a parakeet sharpening knives. Uh-huh. Oh. Incredible transition. So the the blocks in the the uncle's hand start to spark, mm-hmm. like we saw the stone wall sparking before, mm-hmm. and then it 
cuts back to reality and there are sparks coming off the knife. Yep. It's a really, really cool transition. Because that's how, again, the whole dream logic of this whole thing, when you wake up from, oftentimes something from reality will insert itself into your dream and then pull you out of it. Mm-hmm. And in, I love the juxtaposition of you have this very, these, these parakeets are so goofy in their design. They have big eyes, they're very round. But behind him is painted beautifully but horribly bones and meat just scattered everywhere yeah it's uh it's gross so then is it oh the the heron the heron rescues him very poorly dressed like a parakeet which is he's got like a mask and like eyes on top of his head uh and we get to see the parakeet city which is hilarious it just like it just cracks me up that you see in like various levels from the camera, you see parakeets just hanging out. They've got like bars. They've got restaurants. They've got they're... children. <laughs> they've got. They're doing laundry. Nothing. Nothing quite entertains me as much as like two D animated characters in the distance because they're often drawn with a lot less texture Sheep. or in detail. And that the way they are even more simplified in that state is so fun. And they're just like doing very small movements back and forth. It makes me so happy. Even though the parakeets are horrible, carnivorous characters, they're so cute. <laughs> um, so the in the way they in this sequence they like knock out multiple parakeets just by conking them on the uh-huh. head. The movie becomes very goofy at this point, which is so fun. They almost kill one with a falling spike. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so they they're trying to find Himmy. Oh, he, yeah. He they're, is with the granduncle, I think. No. Him, uh, oh, has, she's... So yes, they're trying to find Himmy, and they kind of, like, get out of, like, the town part, and they move into what almost seems to be, like, a very large chapel mm-hmm. or very large building with stands. Yeah. And there's a road in the middle. And this is where we see the king... Uh, parakeet mm-hmm. yeah with a procession and we see yeah, himmy yeah, yeah. lying in a um like a glass coffin mm-hmm. um after both himmy and mahito passed out we see the parakeets like converge on them and this and from what, okay so this 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 part i get this is a very small detail but i would like to talk about it real quick apparently hayao miyazaki hates disney but there are seven of the older women and they seem like the seven dwarfs. And now you've got Himi enclosed in a glass case, very similar to Snow White. Well, Disney did not come up with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. But that image of her in the glass case, I think, is very particular to the Disney version, is it not? Uh, I would have, have I'd have to read the original one. Um, and if it if it isn't, then the, he's just gone with this very interesting Snow White visual illusion. But the seven dwarves, obviously, but like that's the most famous version. Maybe he's trying to like steal it from Disney and do his own version. Uh, but small, it doesn't. Ultimately, I don't have any reading on that. It just seems like he's making some interesting visual references. But yeah, so they're uh, they're, they're going up above in the rafters, and they almost kill a parakeet. They knock down. It's interesting. The rafters are armed with those anti-perching like spikes that you uh-huh. put on a fence, so you don't want birds to sit on them. Um, so they, uh, Heron and Mahito climb across, they see Himmy, and so eventually King Parakeet and his little procession get to a very tall spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. Before this, real fast, 
a very interesting visual cue into what these parakeets are supposed to to symbolize. They they have lots of banners, and the logo for this parakeet kingdom is very very similar to. I'm I'm sure various logos. I'm pretty sure it looks very similar to one of the key Nazi sim, not the like swastika, but it's like this like eagle looking. I'm gonna have to try to find it. Oh, it's, like the SS. Um, no, it's more like a like a bird with very long yes. feathers. Yes, the German eagle. Yeah, that might be it. Uh, regardless, this this image immediately it's the coat of, like the coat of arms of Germany. That's close. I have a more specific. Oh, here it is. It's the, it's the eagle that they have above the swastika on a oh, lot of Nazi. It, okay. And there's a lot. I feel like this this kind of image is very prevalent in a lot of dictatorships and a lot of. Um, I'm. I think it's also related to, um, the fascism of Italy from which is also World War Two. Um, it just immediately cues you into these. Birds represent fascism, mm -hmm. represent oppressive, single-minded. Greed. Uh, yeah, very greedy, very bloodthirsty. And my my big read on this is the birds are obviously very prevalent in this movie. And this whole world, just about everything in this world somehow reflects something we've seen in the real world that's important to Mojito. His father makes airplanes. The bir birds and airplanes. Very obvious parallel there. I think the parakeets specifically symbolize Mahito's fear of what his father's creating and how it's used. These birds, they're, they're evil, flighty things that are trying to kill people and might try to kill him. I think he has this fear of planes being used because his mother got firebombed. I'm just not making this connection. His mother was presumably yes. killed by a plane. Yes. And um, I think that's all very significant. And so the the birds are introduced very late. A lot of people online are very confused by the parakeets, but really, not necessarily. Like there's like I don't think people in typical American Western storytelling, it's very much set around three act structure, very much set around setup and payoff. This movie has none of that. There things are not really paid off. Things are not really set up. It's much more. Um, uh, a lot more illusion, a lot more metaphor, a lot more flow of consciousness to a degree. Um, and so when you have technically your main villain s presented in the third act, that is not how most stories are told in Western culture. So I think when people, when Americans rump, bub up, bump up against things they're not used to, their immediate reaction is to not like it. And it's okay. Bad. It's okay if you think this is not a great story. You have you're allowed to have that opinion, but don't. I think you shouldn't dislike it just because it's different from what you're used to. There's not just one way to tell a story. Now, I think three act structure and set up payoff is a really good structure. That like, if you break away from that and your story doesn't make sense, it's your fault. You failed. This story's not supposed to make sense. This story is supposed to be. It evolves as it goes on, and I think it actually works really well to just have these parakeets come crashing into the story the way they do. So that's that's my perspective on all of that. So they start going up the spiral staircase, as you were saying. And uh, the king parakeet, I can't remember what exactly he says, but he turns around and like reassures his people that um, 
I don't know if it's about it's going to save their kingdom, but he makes a very pointed statement that returning him to the magician will like propel their society basically. Um, and so they go up the staircase and the Heron and Mahito are climbing up on the outside of this big old tower. Um, and they finally get inside and they are noticed by King Parakeet who destroys the bridge after them. Um, just like destroys it. And my thought was, how are they going to get down <laughs> afterward? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But so they enter um, that empty room, that transition place. Um, and they walk into the next room, which is, uh, like a very lush jungle Mm -hmm. paradise. Like the birds, the two birds that are carrying Hemi actually (laughs) have some really fun dialogue where they like, don't they make a comment like the ancestors? Yeah. They they first say, is this paradise? And then like a very simple bird flies over. One of them's like our ancestors. The ancestors. And they're like crying. It is. Yeah. So funny. It's almost like have you seen it's 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 a very simple comic of a little boy in a um dinosaur museum and he's laughing at the T-Rex's little arms and it pans down to a window of their two pigeons looking in and they go, the an- he mocks the ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just find see if I can post so it. Good. So good. Um but so very humorous. Um Dave Batista just brings uh Hemi to the magician. <laughs> I like that juxtaposition of actor name, character name there. Um, and so they open the casket. Um, Hemi wakes up. I can't remember what exactly is exchanged. The dialogue between King Parakeet, or King Parakeet and the granduncle. So to sum- summarize it, the Parakeet King is mad that uh, Maito went into the the birthing room. Oh, yes. And um the grand uncle really now yeah, so pretty much the the, the parakeet king says thinks that something needs to be done about it. Mm-hmm. And so they start to like negotiate pretty much. Um I think this might there's no explanation for why the parakeet king cares about this. And my reading of that is I think this, it's really pivotal to remember this movie is all from the perspective of Meito. We're constantly this is, the, this is the only scene, I think, in the movie where we are away from him. Um, but the movie is from his perspective, and I would say that the way this character's motivation is very confusing would closely resemble how a child would perceive adult motivation. Like, imagine if you tried to explain to a child why Hitler did what he did. It would be very confusing. Why Why does this? Why does he hate Jews for just believing this? Why is he getting killing these people for what a child would say is silly reasons? I think that's why you introduce this parakeet king when he does. He is acting like he's mad about the supposed sanctity of this birthing room. But... There's no explanation given. I think that's because there is no good explanation. Mm. It's just like typical human leaders. They they stand on tradition and they stand on the supposed explanations. But ultimately, he just wants power. As we see later, he just really wants to control this world, mm-hmm. which is understandable. His people are probably dying. They don't have much food, just like the pelicans. But he, um, I think, symbolizes the brashness and lack of respect that a lot of totalitarian leaders have. Yeah, 
so Grand Uncle kind of Grand Uncle kind of brushes him off, um, takes Hemi with him, and so the parakeets leave, um, and we see Mahito and the heron come in there mm. in the empty room, but King Parakeet has not actually left. Um, he ends up following um, Mahito and King and the heron. This guy's got one hundred levels. One hundred stealth. It makes yeah. no sense how this guy maxed out his stealth levels. Um, so they, uh, Mahito and the Heron, walk through that empty room, and they actually go farther into this world. Mm. We see them, like, uh, I can only explain it as, like, an outdoor porch. You yeah. like what a wraparound yeah. porch looks like on a house? It looks, that, but long. It looks like a hotel. Yeah. Like a hotel lobby. And I, one of my favorite elements of film and photography, just images, paintings, is depth is when you have just a long expanse. You can see a long way. And especially, it's fun in fantasy worlds, is when you have something that's way longer than anything ever should be. And you just see how long this area is. And you see, like, scatterings of, like, desks and couches and lamps, and they seem to be covered as if it's, like, a closed-down hotel. Mm. And that's one of Miyazaki's favorite choices is like things that have been closed down he like that is um like the setting of spirited away is this closed down amusement place um it's a small detail it's incredibly small but it's like why this movie works so well is every environment has a story it has character and this whole sequence is just our characters are running and it rules i I just if you like the idea of characters silently running through beautiful vistas in gorgeously animated cells, then this movie is perfect for you. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they're going through the environment and they finally get to the grassy hills that Mahito is at before. Um, and I believe they have met up with Hemi at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as they're climbing up the hill, they, uh, Mahito notices that they're walking on discarded rocks um, that are, the same as what Grand Uncle is using to build the tower. And I think he picks one up. Um, she tells him not to touch one, but I'm pretty sure he picks one up. Because um, what else do you do? <laughs> if you've ever traveled anywhere with me, <laughs> I am always on the hunt for a plastic baggie to bring things back home with me, such as sand and or rocks. Um, so relatable content for me. Yes. Um, very, very targeted. And so they, they finally meet up with Grand Uncle again. And so I think this is where we get a little bit more information where Grand Uncle is like, the world is dying and I need uh-huh. you to take my place. Mm-hmm. Mahito's like, mm, I don't know about that. Well, he also says, I, I can't do it. Yeah. I, I have. He points to a scar. I've scarred myself with my own malice, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting, like it. Such a mature statement. I would not have said that at 11 years old. We had previously discussed how the depth of this character and how complex he is and what's going on. And this reveals a, how emotionally aware and scarred this character is that like the death of his mother really, really hurt him. And, but he's also learned a lot through this journey. And um, I like, I don't think this movie ultimately has any big conclusion. It's just a journey, but like this is the closest we get to that is him saying that about himself. But also, he something we, we skipped over. And it's a small detail, but I think if we're, this movie is made up of small details, when he meets up with with uh, Himi, she gives him a huge hug and she's like, "I'm just glad you're alive." That's like he's like 
the healing he that that's what he needed. That's all, I think that's ultimately the a big purpose of this journey was for him to have like one last experience with his mother. He get and there's one more line of dialogue that that she has as they depart that I think is the closure that he needed. But yeah, the granduncle gives him the chant and the parakeet king finally shows up and I thought for sure the heron was about to eat it. Same. Because the parakeet king is standing right behind the heron. And, and the heron has been lagging behind the whole mm-hmm. time. Yes. But the her- but the parakeet king blasts past the heron and is like, what? This whole world stands on this tower and you're going to give it to this boy? And the parakeet king grabs the blocks and he builds his own tower. And it falls. And it's about to fall and he like slashes it in half with his oh, sword. Yes. And that then causes the world to unravel. And... Wow, this like as far as the animation, that this is what the movie's been building towards. It's the way this world collapses is well mind blowing that someone can draw the just like the way it unravels is so mm-hmm. cool. Um and our characters barely escape. Um I don't recall what happens to the granduncle. Does he just disappear? At this yeah, point? he literally just disappears. Huh. Interesting. So I our don't know. Yeah, he just I didn't even think about it. He's just gone. into the ether. Yeah. Um, and so our characters barely escape. And we also get to see all the parakeets trying to escape as well. They've got like luggage they're, and they're like. They're bringing all their things. Uh, it's, so, it's, it's cute. Like ultimately the parakeets are obviously murderous. In Saving trying, their children from an awful yeah, death. Yeah. They're very cute. And I, I think they get a good conclusion. They're all pushing their way into the, the hallway with all the doors that we'd seen previously in the movie. And... Curry goes there. Does oh yeah, she just kind of shows up like I'm because um, Kuriko, uh rescues Natsuko. Oh, does she really? Okay, I, I must have missed that. Okay, that makes Fairly sense. Certain who rescues that Natsuko? makes sense. No, that that, that, that sure totally Kuriko. makes sense. Yeah, and they go to their door, their doors, and does like I can't remember exactly what Mahito says here. Something like come with me or oh yeah because he doesn't want his mom mm-hmm. to go back to her door and return to her time because mm-hmm. she's gonna die yeah and uh, uh kimi is just like no i want to go and be your mom you're such a good boy that that's the movie right there that's the pinnacle of the film like the movie's been building to that moment i think and they go off into their own doors and Kuriko goes with Himi, and yeah. Natsuko goes with uh, uh, Maito. Maito. And all the birds go into their door as well. Yeah. And they... Uh, they get it, shrunk into bitty birds. Mm-hmm. And it kind of... It does the exact same thing they did earlier. All the parakeets come out and turn into normal and parakeets. The, does the heron come with them? Oh, the heron's also with them, yeah. yes. And... Uh, the birds poop all over them, but then, like, Natsuko has this, like, she's like, the world is so beautiful. I don't remember what she says, but just, like, she has this glorious moment. She's like, it's so great to be alive. Yeah. And the birds are pooping all over her. It's a very interesting choice. And then Maito and the Heron have, like, a moment. Like, they go into, like, a sub-universe for a moment. Yeah. Like, all the detail of the background goes away, and it's just the two of them. And they have kind of a closing conversation. Heron's fulfilled his debt. Yeah, yeah. And and Heron is like, you're going to forget all this. They always do. It's very pineapple, not, not 
I was about to say Pineapple Express, which is a Seth Rogen, James Franco movie. Polar, polar Express? Express, thank you. It's very Polar Express of how like you grow up. I got a Polar Express storybook for my parents this year, <laughs> so that's nice. also podcast content. <laughs> um, and they just like, I don't remember. What, I can't remember what they said. I just remember how the feeling of like this was like them like having a nice moment together mm-hmm. of like, do and, you remember what they said? Nope. <laughs> but while this is happening, the tower is collapsing. Oh, yeah. I forgot the about that. The tower is, it is just full on collapsing structurally gone Mm -hmm. just absolute destruction um but before everyone else gets there as well he 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 uh reaches down into his pocket Mm -hmm. and he pulls out granny number seven (laughs) which was old natsuko or kariko kariko yes and pulls out the little statue and she pops out into a human (laughs) and i think she makes a comment or something I think, like, finally, yeah. uh-huh. something like that. Yeah. And so, um, as the birds dissipate, um, you know, after he's had that moment, his dad is back. Mm-hmm. And I think he has more people with him. The other grannies are there, ready to throw hands with, I don't know who, <laughs> but they're all there. Um, they reunite. Natsuko and Mahito have come out stronger from this. I think they've both healed from their grief. Mm. Um they've made the steps forward to be able to do so together trauma bonded (laughs) yeah yeah and then it just kind of cuts to as presumably a few years later um it's inside mojito's room again he's clearing everything out we see yeah uh his dad and natsuko and now their their son um who's a few years old chubby boy and they leave and that's it it's like very fast ending very wraps up very quickly um and that's the end of the movie yeah it really and then it i really wish i don't think it's i they must not have had windows movie maker in japan because the color and font they've chosen for the end credits looks like the defaults for windows movie maker back did and, and it looks like a youtube video from 2009 it's they very put all the work into the animation and they finally said just throw it together i know throw the, it together the, we're the, done the final credits look so ugly very unfortunately has a beautiful song i definitely stick around and read the titles because they didn't translate it in english um for the dub so it's just subtitles but has this really nice beautiful final song um and i i get so kind of sad people are so quick to start standing up and talking and moving along but like i really recommend just sit with that ending like just sit and enjoy the music and just think about what you just experienced. Cause you're never going to see this movie for the first time again. You're like, just let it be with you for a moment. Cause it's, such, I think it's a beautiful, even if you're confused, even if you kind of hated it, just like, let that sit. Just like, let it settle down inside of your brain for a moment and let it stick. Even if it's, you think it's terrible. I think you have to agree that it's an incredibly unique experience. Um, before we do final summaries, I wanted to give some interesting things I found online about this movie. Um, someone commented some some interesting stuff I found on Reddit. Um, regarding the change in the movie's plot midway, Studio Ghibli producer Tashio Suzuki said the following. The most memorable moment during the making of the film was that the core narrative of the story changed midway. The film from Miyazaki was autobiographical. He was telling his own story at the beginning, and it was about the boy and the great uncle with the great uncle character was supposed to be the centerpiece. The character was based on Studio Ghibli co-creator 
uh, Iso Takahata. However, unfortunately, Takahata passed away during the production of this movie, and that was very shocking for Miyazaki. For a long time, he wasn't able to continue working on the storyboard, so he decided to change the centerpiece of the story from the boy and the granduncle to the relationship mm. between the boy and the heron. Um, Interesting. To add to that, Tahada was the senior, senior animator. He was his colleague. He was his peer. He was his friend. But more than anything, he was the person who actually discovered his talent, uh, Miyazaki being his talent, and brought that talent out. So he owed him so much. So in the beginning, the story was meant to be about how Miyazaki, or the protagonist, was coming of age. But it was about growing and maturing into his own under the guidance of his senior. That was the theme of the film. But then, because of Tahada's... Takahata's passing, he just immediately threw that away, and the story turned into a film about the blossoming friendship between the boy and the heron. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't think that helps the movie, uh, that concept, but I I think the granduncle being a more mysterious figure works way better. Um, the movie should not be called The Boy and the Heron. No, and that's what <laughs> I want to talk about, because the Japanese name is called How Do You Live? Which is a, a real book that exists loosely inspired this movie but it is a book that exists in the movie it's one of the books mm -hmm. it's the book i think we may have skipped over it earlier in the film uh maito is i think he's when he's making his arrow he knocks over a stack of books and he picks one up and in it there's a note that says to old older maito or grown up it's maito from it's from his mom so the book itself is like a gift from his mother mm -hmm. and so it's just interesting with the marketing in Japan versus America, because the boy and the heron marketing is very much, this is an adventure. This is an adventure movie, adventure movie. And not to say that it's not, but I think having that added aspect of knowing the title of How Do You Live provides more depth. Cause yes, yes. Anyone who sees a movie will probably go, why is the movie named this? And that's any movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of I, I'm pulling out Avengers Age of Ultron. Who's Ultron? <laughs> Who's Ultron? Why is it named Age of Ultron? Uh, Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Why is the moon dark? Why, <laughs> Why is the moon dark? I, I mean, don't know. Legitimately, you know. Last Jedi, Star Wars Last Jedi. Yes, who, who is the, the last, last Jedi, Jedi. exactly? Yes. Is it Luke? Is it Rey? Is it Kylo? Yeah. So, yeah. Who, who is the Phantom Menace? Sure. For the longest time... Who is the robot? No, was, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not know what menace meant as a kid. I didn't know what phantom, phantom or menace Phant meant. Danny phantom? But, it, but then I just assumed when I went, once I learned what menace meant, I thought it was, it's Maul. He's the bad guy. But it's oh. it's Palpatine because yes. he's the phantom. He's the he phantom, did, no one knows yes. who he is. So yeah, like I think, no, I feel like calling it the boy in the heron almost does a bit of a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I totally think going agree. into knowing how do you live, you're like, how do I live? How do I live? How does... A boy live, a boy who's coping with grief and very big feelings in an imperfect world. <laughs> He's got big, big he mood, does, big feelings big going feelings. on. big feelings, so. The big sad. The big sad. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, after seeing this movie twice and really trying to think about what is the unifying element of all of the imagery of everything that's going on, I would say, one, I don't, I would really recommend to people, don't try to, like, figure this movie out don't try to think okay what is this movie about what is it supposed to be what is it li literally happening i i think this movie is meant to be open to the viewer to interpret it as they will um i think that's that's really beautiful so i think i think i say watch the movie and try to figure it out for yourself what do these images tell you um 
And so I'm not really interested in, uh, like, the movie, like, a lot of people kind of trying to walk away from movies saying, oh, was it real? Did it really happen? That's not important. I think regardless of if, if that world inside the tower existed or not, I would say the movie is showing that it is populated with elements of Maito's subconscious. That everything that's in there is somehow a reflection of things he experienced in the real world. The heron, the one of the first things that happens when Maito gets to his country, new country home, is the the heron swoops through the house and nearly runs into him and then flies away. I would think for a child who did not grow up in the country, grew up in Tokyo, this is a terrifying moment. Herons are kind of terrifying looking birds because they have very weird bodies. They're very long and lanky. I would think this is probably a scary moment. And he feels terrorized by the bird in that moment. I was a, at that moment, he projects all of his anxieties and fears and his subconscious makes the heron into his tormentor. And then that then, his relationship to the heron as the movie goes on resembles his own relationship to his trauma and how he's progressing through things. And by them becoming friends at the end represents the kind of uneasy friends. Like the heron goes away at the end pretty much. And that's kind of represents his grief his... doesn't grow smaller. You just grow around it. Yeah. Good point. The tower. Imagine like if you're a kid and you're set, you're told don't go into that tower. Your brain immediately fills that tower with fantastical, incredible things. And you're like, so you cannot stand to, until you go in there. And if you did go in there, it would be your fantasy world. It would be a place to play and fill with your imagination. That's why the tower is where all this occurs. And that's when the heron lives in there. He misses his mom. He goes on an adventure with his mom. He, his mom was killed by an airplane. The villains of that world are birds. He met this this crazy older woman. She becomes his like hero in there. He has an unborn brother. That's why there are the Warawara because he uh, did, 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 not everything has to have a super big purpose, but like just about everything in there is somehow a reflection of something he's going through or he's experienced or has seen. And that so that means everything exists to tell us about him as a character. But also, it's just like. I saw a video just earlier today. It was it, like, you know, usual people will go very Billy on the street style, go run up to someone and say, you have five seconds to tell me what you want for Christmas and I'll get it for you. And, and But like this video was set up like that. Like you have 10 seconds to tell me what you want for Christmas. And it goes, the un endless wonder I had as a child. <laughs> and that is a running theme through a lot of people is a lot of people wish they could go back to childhood. That feels like something this movie is trying to get at is, what does a fantasy world created by a child look like? And, but it's also very Japanese that's in response to heritage that like the, the, the weight of what you're expected to do. And Mahito seemingly rejects that. And my reading on the second one is by not, I think the granduncle was wrong about a lot of stuff. I think sometimes people watch movies and assume the writer thinks the character is right. Whatever they say. The granduncle, I think, was wrong because what happens is by allowing the world to be destroyed, everyone is saved. I'm not realizing other than maybe the pelicans. I think maybe the pelicans are all destroyed, but the parakeets are saved. The parakeets who were presumably starving like the pelicans are all released into the real world where they can go and just be birds and survive. And Himi and um, uh the older Kuriko well, are freed and Natsuko is freed and able to go and have her baby. And if she had had the baby, 
the movie never explicitly states, states this, but presumably that child would have been meant to replace the granduncle. So ultimately, I would say Maito's decision saves just about everyone, and the granduncle is freed from his burden. And exactly. There's an I, and there was that was like a, I wanted to talk. Um, I thought it was interesting because he's hold. It felt like the granduncle had become a. He was a prisoner of this world, but also a prisoner of himself in trying to keep this perfect, idyllic, mm-hmm. perfect, quote unquote, idyllic world alive. And he's like, if I keep the tower up, then the tower is safe. This world is perfect. It's untouched. What a horrible burden to have to carry mm-hmm. as a yeah, person, totally. to have to carry the fates of everyone on your shoulders to go every single move I might make could destroy this world and i just i really think i agree with you i think he was wrong about a lot of things i don't think it's not (sighs) that kind of control is extremely unhealthy and impossible entirely unobtainable so i kind of looked at this as like this is a sad situation to find oneself in yeah i agree yeah so complex movie very open to reading um i think it's that's why it stands out um i did also though get a chance to rewatch um asteroid city uh, which pretty much cements that's as of right now that's my number one movie but this is a very close number two um it is so beautiful and so just like really just fun to think about and talk about i think you want to hear kind of my hot take sure i thought it was fine boy in the heron yeah Really? I'm surprised to hear that. Okay. I totally enjoyed it. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was totally fun to mm. see. Absolute whack portions of the film mm. that you see in theaters. You're like, oh, my gosh. Bashing himself in the head with a rock like 10 minutes in. It was like, oh. I just enjoyed it. Mm. Actually, like for me, comparatively to other Miyazaki films, thought it was fine i have other films that i actually really enjoy more than this one now i want to see it again yeah i want to see it again and kind of i think absorb it more but i think that's actually kind of where it is for me i was like that was fun what are the ones that you enjoy more um from up on poppy hill still my favorite okay um i also really enjoy um when marnie was there oh maybe ugly sob at the end such a good film and then i also really like where the wind rises which yes, is another the, his last one yeah, before which this. is another world war ii film with flights and stuff so from up on poppy hill is not actually hayo miyazaki it's his son goro miyazaki but still it's still a studio ghibli yeah, film. yeah okay i thought we were talking about miyazaki you're talking about ghibli films oh i see um and what was the other one you said uh when marnie was when there. marnie was i'm just curious who, who directed these um which is, um, yeah, is that that one's also Ghibli? Mm-hmm. Not okay. So I've not. I think the only Studio Ghibli one that I've seen that's not a Hayao Miyazaki is The Cat Returns, no. <laughs> which has kind of similar elements to this one of like oh someone gosh, going. Right. But it, that one is a movie that is so goofy <laughs> and silly that it, it has its own sense of entertainment. But I would not consider that one good. <laughs> Outside of, you know, obviously, gorgeous animation. Um, it feels like a sequel. 
It feels like there's a whole first movie missing. And Interesting. Then okay. When the wind rises. Um, I'm trying to find a list of Ghibli films here to look see what ones I've seen. Oh, Red Turtle. Oh, I did not know that. Have you seen Red Turtle? I've not. It's on my oh, list. Oh, rules. You tell oh, me that every so single time good. it's brought up. Because it is. It's great. I oh highly recommend Red Turtle. Um, so I've never seen Castle in the Sky. My neighbor Totoro is just an all timer. Mm-hmm. Um, which deals with a lot, and that one's Hayao Miyazaki. Um, never seen Grave of the Fireflies. We need to watch the uh, Grogu short they did. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. they did that. Um, I have. So I've seen Princess Mononoke, which is fun. That's a long film. Mm. That one's so long. I've seen Howl's Moving Castle. Howl's Moving Castle is probably my least favorite, which is mm. an absolute internet hot take. Yes. I'll get canceled for that one. But <laughs> I've heard the book's really good, but I don't know. I just don't see the appeal for Howl. He acts like a 12-year-old. That's not romantic to me, personally. Sure. sure. Um, Kiki's delivery service is really cute. Nausicaa Valley of the Wind is fine. Grave of the Fireflies, which we need to watch. Allison uh, said we could watch it, so we're watching it. So you've got, uh, in 92, Miyazaki also made Pocoroso, which is about a pig man yes. who flies a, uh, a prop plane. You fell asleep in that one. We watched it. You it's fell a asleep very like sleepy through. movie, yeah. Uh, but recommend. It, it's a very, that, that one's less literally, or less metaphorical and more just vibes, but it, that's a fun, it's got a lot of, fun things happening in it what is another one i watched and then you got spirited away which is also another all-timer that i highly recommend ocean waves is also really good oh i've not, I've not heard of that one i i liked ocean waves ocean so yes waves. i enjoyed the boy oh, and the heron uh boy and the heron yeah I, I yeah i would say of the ones i've seen i think it's in my top 10 miyazaki films miyazaki or studio ghibli or studio ghibli i mean um yeah you know i I've only seen a handful, and, and and it would be on. I wouldn't put it as high as Spirited Away or or Neighbor Totoro, but um, I think it it's it still stands alone. Like I just appreciate how singular it is. Like mm-hmm. there's just nothing. Even for, for Miyazaki, a guy who makes movies with a lot of similar elements, it still feels unique, mm-hmm. even in that for context. Sure. For sure, absolutely. Um, and so, and I think I would love for. Americans to get more exposure to this kind of art. Yes, absolutely. Um, any other final notes before we do Meme Minute? I feel like that was it for me. Cool. Can I pee? Oh, sure. <laughs> and we are joined by our editor on mic for Meme Minute, but it's longer than Minute. But is it longer than an analysis of a Hayao Miyazaki oh. film? Hopefully not. <laughs> Um, to start off, I've got some videos. We didn't ask Athena what her thoughts on the boy in the hair. Were. Athena, how do you feel about this movie that you've neither seen nor comprehend? <laughs> Sounds oh. like a lot of the internet's feelings as well. Um, <laughs> so here, here's a, uh, so this video I, I saved in reference to something Sorry, you said. My eight-year-old. <laughs> got an eight-year-old at home. Got an eight-year-old at Eight-year-old home. girl. Um, in last week when we were watching Monarch, there's a part where Godzilla makes eye contact with one of our main characters, uh, put her down. <laughs> and, and it reminded me of this video that I saw. So 
it's a hand drawn animation and you'll see you'll hear the song and it's hand drawn frame of a person looking up at Godzilla. Is this Will is it Willem Dafoe? Well, That's scary. So it says, you don't know me, but I know you. And when it cuts to I know you, it's Godzilla looking down at the people. And I just found that so terrifying. So legendary Godzilla eye contact is whatever. (laughs) Minus one Godzilla Godzilla eye contact is horrifying. You could probably say the same for Shin Godzilla if he knew how to make make eye contact with anyone. (laughs) He's got fish eyes. He's a stare. Um, do you have any videos? I don't have any, any videos. Okay, I, I'll play mine real fast then. Okay, so here's here's a <coughs> one. Excuse me. It says nightmare fuel. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's like an animatronic Yoda with a Santa hat on at like Home Depot <laughs> or something, and he's seemingly motion tracked. He's he's broken. His head is cocked sideways. The person walks up to him and his mouth just goes. <laughs> <laughs> So funny. So funny. This is a clip from Phantom Menace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's the scene where the rolly droids, the droidicas show up, but instead of the droids, it's just a orangutan yeah. just rolling. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Uh, how many memes do you have right now? <laughs> Oh, no. 16, 17? Oh, it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, give me two. I'm just a slow counter. Uh, I, I, Whenever it takes you that long, sometimes I just think that uh, you have a lot. <laughs> Everybody gangsta until the separatists pull out whatever this thing was supposed to be. Oh, hold on. My phone's not on. Oh. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a scene from the... From... Jindy uh, Tarkovsky's Clone Wars. It's a, it was just this big floating, floating thing. ship. I just... Punched holes in the ground, it would send a shockwave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that thing's sick. <laughs> uh, give me another one. So you got Starscream holding two people, and one is the touch, and one is the power. I got the touch. Yeah, look and- at Starscream is captioned as you, and he's holding the touch yeah, and the power. You've got the touch, yeah. and what is you got the power? That sounds. That's the next line in the song. Oh, I see. I see. Very good. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, uh, that sounds familiar. I wonder what it could possibly well, I be. Well, there is another song. Uh, like he, like he um, Megan Fox. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, looking up at Optimus Prime thing. Who are you? My name is Optimus. Optimus who? He looks sideways and sees Luke in Leia's Force Ghost <laughs> Optimus Skywalker. <laughs> People did a lot of these jokes after Rise it's of Skywalker. So, and, and you know what? They're funny. <laughs> because it crosses over. So what, funny. What do you got? Um, pocket sand. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Ben Kenobi throwing pocket sand at, at Darth Vader. Vader. No! Um. So this is from that scene in Book of Boba Fett when the Rancor grabs Mando and like tries to eat him and like bites down on his helmet. And the the Rancor is labeled me and Mando's helmet is labeled pin caps. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. What else you got? 
um, the Drake meme where he's like shaking, putting his hands up like where he's not interested and then the pointing where he, you know, he is interested. Drake the singer. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Clone Wars Anakin Skywalker shaking his head to the Mandalorian. But uh-huh. giving the thumbs up to not just the Mandalorian, <laughs> but the woman Delorean and the children Delorean too. <laughs> very good. So this image is a very strange combination of interest for this podcast. Most of this is what I presume is a real comic, but they've added something at the end. It's Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong versus those droidicas. Because <laughs> the Justice League versus Justice League versus Godzilla is like an actual uh, thing going on right now. So we've got both Star Wars and <laughs> Godzilla in there, which I found fun. Um, oh, but also someone photoshopped the like sunglasses and marijuana doobie. Oh my gosh, the on the droidica. <laughs> <laughs> very, very fun addition. Uh, so this is a. Megan will probably be the only one who actually enjoys this. This is a template from Avatar The Last Airbender okay. where um, Uncle Iroh is speaking to um, Zuko, but it's been edited out. Anakin, you're going to get a kick out of this. The power to save the one you love from dying was in my sleeve the whole time. And this is where Iroh pulls out the white lotus <laughs> chip and it says force healing. <laughs> Dang, dude. So... Uh, <laughs> This this meme is a conversation between uh, Krennic and Jin at the end of Rogue One, and Krennic says, "Who are you?" And Jin says, "I'm Jin Erso, daughter of Galen and Lara. You probably don't recognize me because of my red arm," <laughs> which is a reference to C3PO's line from Force Awakens. Oh, was it Force Awakens? I forgot he had it in that one. You've heard of Elf on the Shelf. Now get ready for School Crawler on a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Skullcrawler being one of the creatures from Skull Island. No. <laughs> I'm explaining to our listeners. Who My favorite know. thing is uh, the army guy that they found. He's like, it's a Skullcrawler. That sounded cooler in my head. I've never had to say it out loud before. <laughs> uh, what a good movie. This is less of a meme and more of a terrifying thing someone decided to do. So one of the most common images that's been used in the promotion for Godzilla Minus One is their ship. Like their small tugboat with Godzilla like in the water behind them. Uh-huh. Someone decided to replace oh. him with an anime character. Uh-uh. And um, yeah, that's for you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Return to sender. <laughs> what else you got? Visual. Ah, <laughs> that's so good. Oh, <laughs> man, I love it. Oh, so it's Shin Godzilla. <laughs> Which is the title of a Godzilla movie, Shin meaning real in Japanese. But Shin is also the name of a character from Star Wars Ahsoka with a very particular haircut, <laughs> which is this like bangs, like bleach blonde, and they fried the, bleach hair. Yeah, they put the hair on Shin Godzilla. Good joke. Uh, That's really good. We're going to get our weekly crunches, Cameron. Oh, uh, she over there munching. She munching. Athena's so, having her dinner. Someone's. This is an image of a comic. And a guy is walking with a book, and he's got Godzilla's head. And he opens the book, and it's, like, really bright. And it says, nuclear bomb testing. <laughs> and then the same light is coming out of the guy's eyes, but it's coming out of Godzilla's mouth instead. Oh, my gosh. Car salesman slaps car. Bumblebee slaps back. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. One of the classic memes. Uh, so here's a scene from 
God delivers his Kong, but they've added a dial some dialogue from one of this year's best movies, uh, across the Spider Verse. Uh, so Mecha Godzilla says, "I created you, and you created me." King Kong, Godzilla, why did you create this guy? Godzilla, I didn't. He's talking crazy. <laughs> Godzilla, why did you create that guy? I didn't. Uh, so <laughs> this is a scene from A New Hope, where uh, Luke is talking with Obi Wan, old Obi Wan. You knew my father? Yes, I did. Remarkable man, flammable. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite. Man. I just like hearing that in. In flammable, uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying to the actor's name. Alec Guinness's voice. Like flammable. <laughs> uh, yes, he was a good friend. Flammable. <laughs> um, this is a one-panel comic, and I include this because now a part of this image is now our cover image on Facebook. Uh, you have a uh, like an ape in a dress talking down to a, a smaller Godzilla-looking creature, and a. Uh, is presumably King Kong pouting, looking out the window, and, and the the mom just says, "Last time he came, he, last time he came out to play with you, half the neighborhood was destroyed." <laughs> Not a hilarious image, but that's this, a Far Side comic. I don't. I think it's Far Side inspired. Are you sure? It's not? I don't. This is not exactly Far Side style, mm. but just this image of King Kong pouting and barely looking over the photo, <laughs> over the window, is so funny to me. What else you got? So you're married, so you should read this one. Your BF or GF should be your second priority. Your first priority should always be Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> Very good. Oh, so funny. This is a more of a uh, illustration than a meme. Uh, this is a canonical explanation for how Godzilla stands in the middle of the ocean in a lot of movies, and you can't change my view. <laughs> and it's just a drawing of Godzilla, exactly the moment from when he, like, in King of Monsters, he, like, shoots his beam in the air. And he's, like, barely standing out of the water, but he's just got lots of leg he's lots just all leg. legs like five times his body length one of my favorite tweets and it this says year. godzilla king of legs <laughs> and his legs are just labeled yes <laughs> one of my favorite tweets this year sent to you my former co-worker where someone said what is godzilla standing on because it's always the image of uh-huh. him just at the top and someone said he's standing on business <laughs> yeah. um so this is the template where the guy is reading a book and he points at it and then he's like shocked uh-huh. uh jedi how to prevent your downfall be nice to chosen one. Don't trust <laughs> army created by enemy Jedi. Damn, I wish I could read. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, 1960s animated Peter Parker is who that oh. is. <laughs> <laughs> he looks weird. Yes. Um, this meme format is kind of like, like a before. square. Yes, he. That's kind of how he looked like in the early <laughs> comics, though. Um, this meme format has come up on this on the podcast before, but this time it's more seasonally relevant. It says, if Ahsoka Tano wore Santa hats, would she wear them like this, which is just one big hat, oh or like this, and like two smaller hats on each mm. of her... Hold on, let me, let me her... see that one. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you made a similar one like that a couple weeks ago. Huh. It's got a watermark on it, though. Huh. Um, so this is... So this meme is actually taken from one of my favorite episodes of Clone Wars, which there aren't many of, FYI. Um... <laughs> Allison, if you're listening to this, this might be spoilers for an arc you haven't gotten to yet. There <laughs> she is, doesn't listen. Don't worry about there it. There is an arc where I believe it is Hondo Onaka and his pirate. They capture Anakin and Obi-Wan. They have also captured Dooku. And you have a couple of episodes where Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Dooku are forced to work together. Mm-hmm. It's the funniest thing to me. 
um, they're all tied together too. That makes it way funnier. Yeah. It's just mm, peak humor. That's pretty early on. I think she's probably seen Isn't, that one. Okay. But there's a scene where Dooku's trying to get them out of the locked cell and Anakin's being Anakin. And Obi-Wan says, Anakin, control your insolence. The count is concentrating. <laughs> and they put it to uh-huh. picture uh-huh. that that of the three wolves where the two look to be laughing. The other one in the middle is super annoyed and it's Anakin and Obi-Wan laughing and Dooku. Yeah, so good. That's actually like one of my favorite arcs. It's just so <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's so funny. Um it's really funny to think about such a thing happening but in the more realistic like serious live action movie like this man tried to kill you you're gonna kill him but yet you're having this wacky comical adventure together um this is a famous conversation from the movie man of steel where lois lane asks superman what's the s stand for and in the movie he says hope uh but in this version he's accompanied by force ghosts of luke and leia and he says skywalker (laughs) So this is a this is a fake YouTube thumbnail. Reviving grandpa from the dead gone extremely wrong 18 plus. <laughs> Posted by Optimus Prime and his images is one of those fake YouTube like high like super exaggerated thumbnails, uh, but it's circles set and no arrows prime circles and arrows, yeah. Super good. That's really funny. <laughs> this meme is based this is actually oh uh I got this meme and then the last meme I have I shared last week, but I'll show it again. Um this is based off of uh, relevant from last week, the uh, the trailer that we watched, Kung Fu Panda Four, and it's got Tai Lung from the trailer, and it's just somehow <laughs> Tai Lung has returned. returned. <laughs> um, so this is an image taken from the back seat of a vehicle, and it's captioned. It's like the Snapchat little text bar. Where are my Uber driver taking me? <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's just Godzilla. It's just Godzilla through the windshield. But it's just a particular version of Godzilla they've used. It really makes it funny. funny. I showed this to you last week, but I'll show it again. It's the the female dancer, Mm. uh, uh, Mon Calamari. (coughs) Why does this exist? And the fact that this this thing is is performing during the infamous... story that Palpatine tells Anakin the uh, mm-hmm. the, the tragedy of Darth Dark Plague, Plague is the wise, the wise. Uh, is very funny to me that's my last meme Ugh, my last one is uh, also from Clone Wars so actual Clone Wars content tonight where I'm not bashing on it what a concept um, <laughs> and this is the scene uh, I think it's from season four or five um, it's Satine Anakin and Ahsoka and she's introduced Corky introducing Corky to them, the ominous nephew that spawns in and spawns yeah. out. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and you have a picture from SpongeBob of two fish doing math of Satine uh-huh. plus Obi-Wan <laughs> equals Corky. And it's, it's labeled Anakin and Ahsoka. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very good. Uh, okay. It's from that episode where Patrick and SpongeBob are raising the clam together and, uh-huh. it, and it's uh, starfish plus sponge equals clam. Yeah. Good stuff. That's funny. I like that one. Oh, man. All right, so you already sent me your memes. No, actually. I have to send them again. Ah, okay. Um, because, as, I, because I added some. As uh, she does that, I, I'm going to do our in memoriam. It's the end of the year, oh my so gosh. we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna memorialize all the people we lost along the way. <laughs> uh, Wilco from Bad Bad Season 2, Episode 1. He's still fallen. Uh, Merrick still from Ahsoka, fallen. we hardly knew you. <laughs> uh, uh, Morgan Elsbeth, 
also from Ahsoka. Glad she's gone. <laughs> she deserved it. Uh, Air Razor from Transformers: Rise of the Beast. That I'm not was glad. She's truly gone. a sad loss. Uh, Unicron from Transformers: I presume he died. I actually don't remember. Yeah, he died. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the uh, hopefully, actually, now I didn't even think about this time. Thankfully. The, the guy who voiced Unicron broke the, the curse. He did not die a few days before the movie was released. <laughs> Subverting expectations. Uh, rip to the bottom level of Papu, the island that they lived on in Bad Bats that just got totally wiped out. By a tsunami. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you think they would have not built there? Yeah. Yeah, you think. Um, uh, rest in peace to uh, Bill Randa's wife. Uh, in in uh, uh, the I almost called Mojito, Mojito Monarch. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of of mothers, Mojito's mother, <laughs> who died off screen in a fire bombing, and finally, uh, all of the randos who got killed by Godzilla and Godzilla minus one. Uh, all of those we lost this year, we salute you. <laughs> Okay. So. Oh wait! Did you say tech? Oh, I forgot to put him on the list. Of course, tech. Tech, who's also probably still falling. Um, yeah, he he dead. He gone. Don't particularly miss him, but oh, also did um, I was thinking about this earlier. The lizard woman who like employed Sid the is still alive. Is she still alive? Dang it! She's just rich because she sold him out. Uh huh. So morally, she's dead. Okay, um, mm, there's a lot of very Rachel jokes in here. I know. There's a couple of different repeat ones that sometimes you tend to do as you, <laughs> you do that. I doubt you made this one. Oh, I did not. No. Uh, I did not realize the Shin Godzilla one had the the uh, slogan, a god incarnate, a city doomed. <laughs> that makes it really funny. Hmm. Man, there's very, very... So you is this the one you're is guessing? This the one you made. So it's Godzilla reading the book and, and the then, light goes into him and then comes uh-huh. out of his mouth. I did make that nice. one. Nice. Yeah. So it was like a comic that was supposed to imply you you're in darkness and you read this book and the book is light and then and it goes light, into him and then he opens his eyes and it's coming out and you yeah. can see. But the idea I thought it was God hilarious that it. it's like the the radiation <laughs> coming in and going out. Uh so that's a that's a plus one. I need to bring up the score sheet. I almost I almost thought I almost wondered other contenders I was thinking about was those droidicas. <laughs> I was like, uh. and I actually almost wondered for a second if the, oh. uh, the Skywalker was, you know, was like, mm, I don't know. Okay, Rachel improves to. Oh no, stop that. Uh, week 18, Rachel has 12 wins and six losses. Let's Very go! Good. Very good. It's a good ratio. Get ratioed. Uh, <laughs> Man, there's so many in here. Ah. Man, this is like, I think it, it speaks to the, that you have a really good sense of humor that I can't. There's a lot of very funny ones in here, and I'm just not sure. Um, I, have, I really, I oftentimes just need to go with my gut reaction because when I ignore it, and my gut reaction tells me that it is uh 
Starscream holding the two guys, and it's the touch. Dang it! Okay, my second guess would be... Is it Shin Godzilla? It is. Dang it! (laughs) (laughs) You being able to not contain your laughter is what cued me in (laughs) just now. Dang it! Oh, that's two straight losses for me. Dang it. I'm really glad I got that double one. Um, (laughs) Yes. I'm at 10 and 9. Dang. Um, So... I'm proud of Welcome that Welcome to one. the end of the year. It's good. That, I'm, that proud one, that. I'm that so proud of that one. Brilliant. I'm, see, I had to wait for a good week to put that one in. <laughs> I was like, man, if I have a bad week, he's going to know. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this first year of the podcast. Uh, we really Thank appreciate you. it. This was a ton of fun. Um, coming up next week will be a uh, recap episode, a uh, best of episode, a uh, highlight episode, a highlight reel of, the, of, of our first year um when are we gonna record again we'll um, have some monarch episodes to watch yeah we could either we're either come back next week on the third or the 10th one of those two somewhere in the next two weeks we'll we'll podcast come back queen and we'll talk about the next couple episodes of monarch which yeah. might be a shorter episode <laughs> <laughs> um and thank you just so much for joining us today for this uh i hope you enjoyed our analysis of of I almost said the man and his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> the boy and the hair. <laughs> That's the bootleg title. <laughs> uh, wow, this is... We're done. We're done. This is it. Uh, this is Cameron and Rachel signing off saying, God incarnate, a city doomed. Shin Athena. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Tell you a story. My coworkers heard a crunchy noise in the office and assumed it was me popping my knuckles. (laughs) What was the crunchy sound? I don't know. (laughs) I am at my desk hear noise and my supervisor across the hall oh rachel and i went what and she goes that wasn't you popping your knuckles and i went no but i can and i popped them all cue the groans from the other offices in the end of my hall with it oh man you're you popping your knuckles is like a third character on like a fourth character including <laughs> athena so my coworkers know me by my knuckles not because i fight them but because of the sounds they make <laughs>